When you sell a truckload of Iguain jerseys and then you need to change the nameplate, it's That's So MLS, a North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello. Nick, the brothers are going to be united. Wait, what? What's happening? Uh, DC is sending Federico Iguain to Miami. When did this happen? Like literally an hour ago. <laughs> Amazing. Do you love that I, st- I still laughed at the line because I just found it funny. And then <laughs> <laughs> as you were doing the intro, I'm like, wait, what's happening? Okay. <laughs> I got you. You got me good. Oh, um, man. The uh, There's a great... Uh, Michelle uh, Michelle Coppin from uh, Miami Herald retweeted somebody uh, Matt Three Leo who says there needs to be a wrestling match to see who gets Pipa, which is Iguain's nickname or Federico Iguain's nickname, and who gets Iguain <laughs> yeah, on the could, back. Could you narrow it down a little bit there? Gonzalo is Pepito, I think. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So and Fe- Federico, have... I feel like, is also that's got to be like I'm sure he basically was like whatever. Buy me a coffee once in a while. Like he can't be going on a huge wage there. Uh he. Uh, I don't think. So. I think so. It was. It was. I think a gam thing. There. Uh, of course. It's yeah. Described as a small amount of gam, um, which base money of future past, which DC needed because they uh, just sent some to. Uh, Kansas City for an international spot so that they could bring somebody off the injured list uh, in more MLS, you know, well, we'll get rules. to We'll get to D.C. United. but We'll get to D.C. in a, in a bit, but yes. Glad they got some good news this week. After, after years of Columbus fans um, wondering, will Gonzalo come to play with his brother? Uh, it's not happening in Columbus, but it is happening. <laughs> Close enough. Another very, very busy week of soccer. Just so many games. Um, I felt like this time around things blended a little less together, but there's still an <laughs> awful lot to talk about. I think that we... Um, one of the things that, that as the, the playoffs start to approach, like, like the, it's permissive enough that there are very few teams that are, like, actually clearly out of it. Right, But yeah. You know, you're starting to see teams attempt to reach their form. And and uh, some of those teams, you know, we, okay. talk, we, we joked about it last week, but um, people okay. keep talking about Before Seattle. Before you say it. Yeah, okay. I was just going to say, Andrew, I have a question for you. Um, which two teams would you say are the most consistent and the best if you picked one from each conference? Oh really, God, only two teams have looked <laughs> consistently good, and who are they? Seattle Sounders and Toronto FC. Yeah, um, are have both led the way. Both had um, good wins the last two weeks, or even the last week. I don't know. Nobody knows what week it is or what time it is, <laughs> but it's like I now have the I now have the rhythm of what's happening with match days on the midweek and on the weekend for MLS down. But then yep. when I'm talking about them, I feel like one week is two weeks, which is true. Yes. Yeah. Um, but both had great times. Um, unfortunately, Josie Altador is, uh, has picked up a knock, I think. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. 
But they're uh, where did you get? Where did that go? Four to five weeks following hamstrings injury, injuries. So I don't think you know. Depending on what happens in the playoffs, it'll it'll be another sort of. So in other words, he might be ready to come on for twenty minutes in the final. I, I've never heard this happen before as a uh, as a um, is it twenty as a plot point. <laughs> this is this has never been a Josie Josie. Josie fighting through injury in the playoffs has never been a plot point before. Yeah, that's good. It's good that we're mixing it up this year. <laughs> we've complained all, like, for the past seven months about, the you know, what is the new normal? And some things just are always true, which is you can always count on Seattle and Toronto in an MLS final and Josie Altidore probably not being match fit, probably coming on anyway and probably scoring a goal. But MLS is playing the hits. <laughs> um, I do think, I mean, like, I think that legitimately, and, and, and I think this will become clear once we, once we get through it again, because of the widened field and because there are so many teams, um, that whip back and forth in terms of form, um, this is going to be among like the, one of the harder, uh, playoffs to predict, like, yeah. Um I I think that there's we're well in uh we're well in a position where we could see some really surprising teams go deep uh before a Seattle Toronto final. <laughs> it's true. Which which that's the really crazy thing to me is because if that final does happen it will be even more remarkable given the fact that I mean just about every single team in the league makes it into the playoffs anyway and there's been so many games, so many fitness issues. Like, there's a million things that could happen between now and that final game. I, I still think it's going to be Seattle, Toronto. But so are felt... definitely there's so many things that could happen, and and you know, we've seen both Seattle and Toronto get beaten. So we know that that's a very real possibility in the playoffs as well. With that first, um, with the first uh, game between uh, Toronto and Philadelphia. Um, I felt that that was kind of like the the two one win. I mm-hmm. thought that was a a real like playoff test, a little playoff taste test in yeah. some ways because you had two teams that I really think could meet um, each other down the road. You had Toronto FC, which has flashier flashier moves, but um, Philadelphia, which is direct and won't quit, um, trying to do their best to. Uh, to find a way forward. And then the match with uh, New England yeah, was in... Uh, I don't know what you call the championship in this case, if it's the, if it's the um, supporter shield of the cup, but it's a, it's a classic... It felt to me like a classic title season, uh, title winning season win, where it's like, Toronto FC never really had to get into gear, right. really. Yeah. Um, but, like, they just got fortunate, and it, it never was an issue for them. Because you had the... Um, you had in that one, you know, Akinola scores the first goal, but it's like, you know, the the commentator's like, is that a foul? I think it was a foul. I think it's a foul. <laughs> I, I mean... <laughs> He straight arms the guy. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> and I mean, like, I love it. Toronto FC's like, check out that power. And I'm like, for sure. As Like, for a 20-year-old kid, that's some great upper body strength. It's also super foul, but... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then and then um, New England missed the penalty that was given up uh, after Delgado um, crunched on... Or, no, Delgado uh, fouled Win and still got crunched by Win, which sucks. Uh, but, you know, Revs fans were mad that Lee Win, who... Um, think was approaching a milestone wasn't allowed to take the kick and then eventually that ended up becoming very true after books put it over yeah i mean i to just switch gears for a moment but while we're talking about it i feel like new england was one of the teams that i wanted to pay a little bit more attention to this week just in terms of what i was watching and paying attention to because they've kind of i feel like flown under everyone's radar a bit but have been quietly quite decent um we don't have the same comparison of last year when uh bruce arena took over and really overnight kind of turned them into a good team from being pretty woeful um and you know lee win has really slotted in nicely back into his role there um but yeah it feels like new england's still missing one or two pieces to really make them uh a huge threat but to your point about toronto is i really do like the combination of these two games, the Philly game, which I thought was great. Um, <laughs> I messaged you about it mainly because I'm not used to watching two teams in the same conference play a really good game of soccer against each other where like all of their passes were finding a teammate. <laughs> it, it was end to end, but not because of mistakes. And like they were defending and attacking well. Um, but Philly, Philadelphia just felt like never quite had that that lethal final touch i thought the first 45 was really well contested by both teams and then toronto just kind of ran away with it and that's the reason why toronto always ends up in the position they they put themselves in is because they they just work so tirelessly i mean the um the culture that that vanny has brought to the club i think is is really great and you mentioned philadelphia kind of preferring their direct game I think at points it worked for them and you see how playing a a fairly simple style of soccer really does work well for Philadelphia and the direct attack maybe doesn't quite always come off, but it does make it very hard to score against them because they're a compact team. They're very well organized. Toronto was still able to do it. And then as you say, just kind of polishing off this new England game. I mean, that's what championship teams do, right? Is they, they lock the back door and they get stuck in and they, they grind out one nil victories. Um, I loved in the Philadelphia game that Montero basically was just like, I am going to hit a powerful shot from 45 yards and I'm going to do it four or five times. It's going to happen eventually. Maybe yeah. not now, but maybe next week. Well, and Montero is kind of the, I feel like the one exception for Philadelphia uh, where he really, like when they're, when you see the build up play and you can, it feels a bit predictable. Like it, it's very, it is very direct. Um, and you're like, all right. And then they're going to put it out to the wing and then the, the slow cross will come in and there will be two players in the box ready to find it. Um, you know, they beat a lot of teams because teams are very bad at marking that kind of kind of direct style but Toronto was able to do it um but yeah Montero I think brings a bit of 
just something different where you he's not afraid to take those shots and even if when they don't come off I, I still think it's a really good warning sign to other teams that Philadelphia is a team where although direct you don't necessarily know who's going to be kicking that final ball in cuz it's six or seven players that have no trouble scoring for them yeah um i thought that Akinola's goal in this game was truly impressive in terms of his yeah. his, his header that hits Blake and still goes in um i this is i don't think that you can miss it I, the the second Toronto goal, um, Pozuelo is very extremely unmarked on the far post. Uh, but I guess everybody was planning for it to go. I guess the ball does go towards the middle and then sort of bounces free. Yeah, I mean, it's still. I, I felt like Philadelphia kind of lost their concentration in in the last like twenty thirty minutes of the game. It, it's still a mistake. It's still one that I think um, Jim Curtin will be <laughs> wanting back. It, it It's just, it's crazy to me that a player like Pozuelo can be unmarked in the box at any stage in any game, especially against <laughs> a team like Philadelphia, where they're usually pretty good on those, those types of plays. But it, it just, to your comment around it feeling like a playoff game, I really felt like between the the two teams are both good, but one team is very ready for the playoffs, and the other team probably needs to dig a bit deeper and get into their their real uh, like dominating mode. Much Here's one thing that I will really say about that is I think that um, as good as the scoring by committee is, um, they have to activate Casper Shabilko. Um, the yeah. the union looked dangerous at times. Um, but not a lot in uh, in the highlights that I saw did Shabilko pop up, maybe once or twice. Yeah, and I, I think um, the Toronto game was a rare, not so great performance from performance from Brendan Aronson. Um, his game game against Cincinnati seemed to have no issues at all, but um, yeah, he was kind of uncharacteristically quiet during the the Toronto game, um, and it looks like he's actually probably headed off to. Um, Salzburg soon to the Red Bulls. Well, that's right. Well, so he's he's playing out the season. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but it'll you know I hope that uh, that he is able to make something of that in his uh, in his final going for Seattle on the other side of the thing on the other side of the. This 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 final that we have imagined, um, from from real events. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's not you know, so they imagined. Had, they had they were able to really turn it on against Vancouver. Um, after the the first half, this will be a this will be something that we 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 hear about from from Vancouver again. But and a pretty even first half, they were able to really open the floodgates in a period of about um, 12 minutes, scoring twice, getting an own goal. Um, Vancouver made it. Uh, Vancouver then got uh, um, a red card, really, in, in you know, we could talk to, about this as well at this, the San Jose game later, but... Um, Who got sent off in the Seattle, Seattle game again? Cavallini. Bikel. Bikel, right, 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 right. Bikel and then Cavallini. Cavallini. Bikel got sent off, Cavallina and then Cavallini the got a second yellow, 
or not a second yellow, but um, Cavallini got yellow card accumulation, yes, right? Which kicked him out from the the earthquake game. Um, but in terms of we can talk a little more about Vancouver later. Seattle's performance was one that um, a first half that had been um, had been tight. Really take the ability to put a team away and do it very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I was really surprised the first half was as close as it was. I felt like um, Seattle didn't look as sharp as they normally do. And for just the briefest little window of time, I was like, oh, well, if they're having an off night, like we could maybe squeak a draw out of this. But as Seattle so often tends to do, is that once they find their rhythm, it's kind of over <laughs> for whoever they're playing. Um, and it, I mean, it's why as a Whitecaps fan right now, you dread this kind of match. Seattle is, I mean, at least five times the team we are in just about every area on the pitch. So for me, this was never a question of, hey, maybe we can win this one. It's like, how bad will it be? And it turns out not, not terrible. Um, a very, very fortuitous penalty call to give us a goal, which I, I think the Sounders fans are rightly aggrieved at. But as I said during the game, I was like, come on, just let us have this one, guys. Come on. Like, look, we are not, we're clearly not going to get a shot on goal any other way. So just 3-1. Shut up. <laughs> You're right. It's not a foul. Not even close. Whatever. We're taking but compare, the uh, Compare as well. Um, that sort of like... Um, Two, two shots on target for the Whitecaps. Two, uh, sorry, sorry. Two, three shots, three Good shots day. total to 22 for the Sounders. What a night out. Um, but compare that, as you say, maybe even giving the Whitecaps too much in the first half um, to how they handled RSL, which is, you know, they have this, this goal they score early, which is a great little move. Um, rolled Don pinging it into the area and um, Bruin dummies it for Jordan Morris. Um, later in the second half, uh, Yamar scores on a header off of... Uh, it is wide open doing so off of a free kick from Ladero. Um, really holding control of it the whole time. Uh, knew who scores the um, the own goal. So they, they even spotted one to their opponents. But it yeah, yeah, this this game for me is a, a real highlight of just where Seattle is at. And, you know, I think usually probably people would say, you know, RSL doesn't really stand much of a chance there. I thought RSL played a great game for the most part. I thought they, they did a lot of things well, and I was really surprised that it was so close. But you're right in terms of it was really kind of in Seattle's control for most of it. The the few chances RSL got were kind of half chances um, and they had to do a lot of defending. I was pretty happy with the way RSL defended, but it comes down to, you know, two errors, just not being quick enough on the ball. The first goal is one of those ones where it's like, maybe somebody can get out a little faster. Maybe somebody should be marking Jordan Morris a little tighter, but Jordan Morris is going to go where he wants to go, is very hard to mark. And the shot is just such a, a deft piece of <laughs> striker ship. Is that a word? <laughs> Strikerdom. Um, 
that it, it was thoroughly deserved, you know, the, and really the only blip from Seattle is this own goal where New Who's coming charging in on a cross that admittedly from his angle probably doesn't look like it's just going to fly through the box, but really a ball that when you're running as when you're a center back running towards your own goal to block a cross, like you gotta be really a lot more sure footed, <laughs> you know, just sliding in, hoping to make contact with the ball is how you score an own goal. Um, and that happened, but for RSL's side, I thought they played a, a pretty good game and overall have looked to be a much stronger side this season, but was a great example of how Seattle, it, it, regardless of the type of team they're playing, always just seem to be in control. We mentioned of the, game. Um, the uh, we mentioned Gonzalo Higuain and Miami off the top. They had after that first goal, uh, the first game where uh, Higuain was not able to find the net. They had another match where uh, that was full of goals all in the first half, um, where they were not able to find joy. Uh, when they lost 3-2 to New York City um, with City scoring a goal, Lewis Morgan draws one back. City scores another goal, Lewis Morgan draws one back. Um, But eventually, they were, uh, this week against New York Red Bulls, able to uh, not only beat uh, New York, but um, Higuain got that first goal. I got a push alert about it. <laughs> because, <laughs> of course, MLS is thirsty for this. Um, but uh, they were able to break through against the Rebels. Yeah, and I, I felt like um, last week my criticism of Miami was just looking very frail defensively and in midfield as well. And that I thought they did much, much better in this game. Granted, against an opponent that has looked pretty frail in defense and midfield at times, but this, yeah, we haven't seen too many games with Inter-Miami where all the pieces come together and you're like, ah, yes, the team that it looked like they were building in full effect, because there's so many weeks where it just hasn't quite come off, Um, but you've got, you know, um, Pellegrini draws level, the Red Bulls score first in this game in a goal that looked kind of offside to me but the Red Bulls showing some fight not long after that um, Pellegrini levels it and then Iguain gets the final word in with this just filthy free kick which you know is a good distance but just I mean as far as free kicks go about as perfect as, as one can place one with the power and the bend on it um, gets himself off the mark and so where Miami has been slow to have their their high performance players kind of perform to their full levels, I think things look pretty good for them if Iguain's able to to continue his form. I saw the the goal line clearance early in this from Blaze Matuidi, yeah, and thought, you know, he was a, almost an afterthought in the deal, despite being you know a, a very major player in his own right. Um, that's sort of one of the You'll you'll see this when somebody gets signed that a the in MLS that a teammate of theirs pops up as well. Yeah. Um, but when I saw that goal line clearance and some of the other work that he was able to do, it's just like, what if this is the real get? Oh, and I, I would argue it is. You know, like 
as we've talked about with the Nashville expansion sides that build a really strong back line, I think fare pretty well um, because you can wait for the goal scoring stuff to come. We've seen that with teams before. One of our biggest criticisms with <laughs> our beloved Whitecaps is like, look, it's if you're not scoring goals, you're not scoring goals, but holy crap, lock it up at the back. Like build a team defensively first and then get the goal scoring part right. But so many teams seem to just be like, let's put all the money up front and hope for the best. And that works. You definitely will win some games and score some great goals. But I mean, we've, we saw that with the galaxy for any number of years in a row um, and, and have it just not ever really work out. So yeah, I, I think Matuidi is the, is the get. Certainly, certainly, if you're trying to find a way to make your your star signing uh, feel at home, uh, if you can prize another player out of Juventus, <laughs> you uh, in, a, in a midfielder, you you may as well. Yeah. Um, this was also the first. Um, this was also the first game for Gerhard Struber. The new New York Red Bulls manager, who uh, they uh, paid a fee to get off of Barnsley from the championship. Right, yeah, and, and not a not a great debut for him. <laughs> well, but, you know, I mean, yeah, for me, the I wish I had more to say about the Red Bulls. I feel like I've been trying all season to come up with something more interesting to say about them and really trying to give them a fair shake, but you know, watching them play week in, week out, I've yet to really see, you know, an entire game of a complete performance from them, even some of the games they've won. And it's, he's got his work cut out there. Uh, It's baffling to me, the talent that they have on the field, how it's, it's just not resulting in the final product. But, you know, we had this conversation last season, um, in the off season about like you know New York Red Bulls is getting rid of all their best players well turns out that really did hurt them this season <laughs> <laughs> um their neighbors uh New York City after beating Miami um went on to put DC United in the ground um 4-1 mm-hmm. in a a match a really weird game because DC gives up the penalty like in the second minute um, that seems really soft and then it almost oh. feels like they get spotted one. Oh, absolutely. Okay, we need, yeah. <laughs> this first call on Julian Gressel, like it's an arm in the back, but it's like such, such a soft call. Um, Very, very frustrating, especially so early in the game. And then it's Drew Fisher, I believe, was the the referee in this game. But I'll have to I'll have to double check that. But like almost immediately goes to, and calls a penalty on the other end, which is again incredibly soft. So you have the game start with two penalties, <laughs> and that second one, it's like um, Bill Hamid like gets a hand on it and uh, but can't stop it from going into the goal. All this. It's Castellanos that scores that, right, for New York City? I think so. And then... No, to Jury Schrotti. Right, but but Castellanos scores the first PK, and then he he gives up the second PK. 
right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And then Tajiri uh, Shradi scores the third PK because there were three penalties in this game. Oh, my God. Because that's just a normal thing in soccer. Three penalties, but only one of them was a penalty. <laughs> yeah, sure, right, right, right. So you had these two penalties, and then in the third... I can see it, where like... you would get confused, because there were three penalties <laughs> in the span of uh, how, how would history minutes? have been different if that, if, if that had been saved? Um, <laughs> as it was, you know, they go through halftime on one, and then... Uh, even even before the goals started to come again, it was they were just giving way too much, I think, to um, to New York in terms of opportunities. You know, it felt yeah. like a real shooting gallery, and um, much like Seattle, they exploded for three in the second half. Well, and I really don't know where things quite went wrong for DC because. Yeah, like I get they they don't have Rooney, and they, you know they've they've lost some really key pieces of their squad, and I feel like they've done a good job of bringing in players as well. But their defending just looks so frantic, and, and it, it's like I know that there's been times where we've seen that, but I really kind of you know i i knew that dc was not having a good season but i i sort of scratched my head as to how they ended up in this position um in what would prove to be ben olsen's final game with them as head coach it may be kind of kind of me to say this but i kind of feel that they more than i i don't know you say more than any other team lots of teams have been in, impacted by the pandemic but if you if you're looking at a team that made two acquisitions that it really wanted to sort of integrate into the team and then had the season canceled two games in. If you were looking at a team that once games started getting played again, um, took a lot, a, a number of injuries to key players. Yeah. Um, not to say that it hasn't been tough and it's been tough for Ben Olsen before. And, um, for sure. But yeah, I mean, Paul Ariel is arguably their best player, and he's out injured for the season. So, um, Stephen Goff um, reported that after um, after they failed to win a game with Rooney in the playoffs, um, Olsen was almost um, fired last year. So he was kind of on the um, a little bit on the chopping block. Yeah, um, and. I've been glad to see most of the reaction is gratitude to Ben Olsen's incredible tenure there. And also a, it's time, it, it can be time to move on. And you can also be kind of sad that it, things didn't work out better and that it's the end of an era. I mean, the stat is incredible. 71.1% of DC United games in MLS. Ben Olsen was either playing or coaching. Uh... That's that would be absurd if it was a newer expansion team. The fact that it's DC United is crazy to me. I don't know if you count. I don't know what you count in terms of one club, uh, a one club player, um, whether or not his his brief stint at Nottingham Forest would um, would preclude him from that. But I also think he was on loan, so he never left. He he never left the organization. Uh, yeah. Technically. Um, no, 
and if you look at it that way, it's like, what's the, uh, he has essentially been with the team since 98. Um, yeah, he was a player. He, he was that, he was a player there. He retired in, uh, in October of 2009 and was hired as an assistant in January and was head coaching, um, by August of 2010. Uh, and, it is just, it's not sort of like a Sir Alex Ferguson multiple decade, decade stay, but in the modern world of pro sports, what is? And um, it's, I think the rec, the current record is Vermees, who has one more year on him. Uh, it is currently still there. Peter Vermees is currently still there at Sporting Kansas City. Um he has been a mainstay in MLS, both for, you know, uh, playing, coaching, giving wild quotes. Um, <laughs> and the if you look at the eras that he's rode, rode through um, in terms of them getting Audi Field and getting Wayne Rooney, um, having some truly awful seasons and then yeah. um, masterminding decent turnarounds and still winning trophies. Uh, it's been quite the ride. It certainly has been. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it's, it's definitely a little, a little sad. We always like to, to see the, the long standing uh, players and coaches stick around, but he will be staying with the organization, which I think is interesting and like pretty unprecedented to like lose your job. I mean, there's very few times when a, decided to mutually part ways or mutually decided to part ways is actually true mm-hmm. and not just code for firing but to, to be like all right it's time to move on but also you will have some role within the club so i i think that that's that's good to to acknowledge that you know there's it's fair to say dc kind of is ben olsen but yeah they probably need to move on from that however you don't want to just throw away all of that experience and insight into your team and, and vision. And as you said, like it, it, it's not like it's been easy for him. He's, he's had very up and down seasons with them. Um, but that, that's a huge amount of experience that you have to see the good, the bad and the ugly of your team. Um, I have a hot take about the, the organized, the staying in the organization thing. Would you like to hear it? I'd love to hear it. 43 is a little early to retire from club management, isn't it? <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't think... I, I think that as long as he wants to work there, he should be able to work there. And, and, and certainly, um, other than the forest, he's never looked at risk of ending up anywhere else. But You know where he, he's needed? Mm. Red Bulls, man. Well, I guess the Eastern Conference rival. The, he would never. He would never because he's one of. of <laughs> he wouldn't. He would never. There, there are great. There is a great piece I want to say last year about how the DC Rebels rivalry has has slowly receded from view, but essentially they're both shit. <laughs> but <laughs> sorry, but from the people who well, are you? Where's the lie? Um. But of the people who remember it, it still burns in the fire of their. It still burns in the fire of their souls. 
uh, that rivalry. Yeah. So I don't think he Absolutely. would ever do that. I don't think he would. Uh, and and the uh, the position was was sewn up anyway. But uh, that would be, that would have been that would have been funny if it would have uh, <laughs> if it would have happened. I think I think he could still he could he still has managing in him. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know. Uh, I don't know if this is a scenario where you see it's it. MLS. Every coach is going to have bad years. Like I, I get the the decision, absolutely. But like, you know, the the winningest coaches in MLS have still had multiple years where their teams are terrible. Like, you stick around long enough in MLS, you're going to have a terrible season. That's true. Unfortunately, his his biggest wins. The 99 MLS Cup, 2004 MLS Cup, Supporter Shield, 99, 2006, two, uh, 2007, uh, Open Cup, 2008, came as a player. And as a manager, it's the Open Cup in 2013 that uh, that you stake him on. Yeah. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what comes next from DC and... and and how they continue to move into a new era. We, we we are constantly talking about the being in a new era, but it's clear that as, you know, as important as the arrival of Wayne Rooney and the opening of Audi Field was that year, it's like this is the hinge point. It almost feels like not that. Yeah, it, it yeah. You're right. And I mean their their academy hasn't been cranking out tons of players. I know it's a well regarded academy, but we've yet to see that, that pipeline develop as much as it has with some other teams. So like there's significant work to do with this organization. I mean, the good thing is they got the stadium out of the way. <laughs> so you know, and and they got some attention their way because of the Rooney signing. They're a little bit higher profile for, you know, probably some bigger names than they might have been before, but yeah, I I think it is a bigger turning point in many ways. They have a huge decisions to make about which way they want to go with their team, and I'm very curious to see who ends up being on their their short list of choices for coach. Um, some big results around the league. Um, Montreal squeezed out a very controversial win against Columbus. Um. For me, this was kind of like an unfortunate result from a, a really good, scrappy game that yes. I felt like if if it was just allowed to play, probably it's a 1-1 draw. Maybe one team is able to take all three points from it, but it, it's just, it's not a penalty. And the fact that it's called is not a penalty, and then VAR says, no, it's a clear and obvious error, and then they rescind that decision... I, it's just, it's so, like, nerve-jangling when VAR is used to overturn the correct call on the pitch. Um, you know... My... I have a hot take. Do it! It was the right call. They, they consist... The, the, the commentators tried to essentially paint Bojan as, uh, as backing into the foul. But I don't think that that is important. He still gets pushed over in the penalty area. If you if you wonder if it is if it is his fault that he gets pushed over in the penalty area, if you okay. if you wonder whether or not the attacker intended to push him over in the penalty area, um, 
I think that certainly part of the critique of VAR has been that um, that it slows everything down to slow motion and and takes a little bit out of the of of the context of things when you're looking at it that way. But certainly when you're looking at it in slow motion, it gets pushed over from behind okay. the penalty area. I will give you this much. Rather than do the typical sports thing of just arbitrarily disagreeing with you, I think I'd need to see it again. To my eyes, when I watched it, it looks very soft. And I think Boyan is going over. I think he does get a little push. And I think he's looking for that penalty the whole way. And to me, that's a finer line. Maybe that's where I'll compromise. Is It's a finer <laughs> line of whether it's a penalty or not when a player, when the attacking player knows it's going to happen, is looking for the contact and waiting to go over. I mean, he he does back into the player, and the player extends his arm and pushes him. But for me, Boyan's going over when that happens. Like, he's already a bit off-centered. If it was... the If there was, like, feet on feet, and there was, like, tripping going on, a bit. But for me, it's just... it's It's like... You're... To not be able to, like, touch a player in the penalty box. <laughs> I mean, if Akinola can straight arm a guy and score, then I feel like you, you as a defender, you should be allowed to like use your arms a bit. And we've seen penalties where there's a lot more pushing going on and the penalties not. That's getting. true. So I, I, I guess for me, I'm, I'm just like, if it seems rather soft and if this is a PK, then I feel like there should be 10 others that were called this season. But <laughs> What else is new? It's it is concerning. The major talking point here should be Columbus as a team that up until a few weeks ago had conceded two goals in the season is now starting to to give them up at not an alarming rate. It's still a pretty good uh, goal difference for them, but uh, a huge win for Montreal. And st- you can sense Caleb Porter's frustration. And, and you know, maybe starting to get a little bit unsettled with his, his pretty impenetrable If you team. look at um, that first goal, too, I think that this is, is less... I think it says less about Columbus on a whole than it does about, you know, Montreal is, is a weird team right now that needed some good news and um, had this, yeah. this first one where they... Um, it's like they're, I think it's like the Columbus defender, like, obviously handballs it, but it bounces back to a player who scores, which I think is, like, to Columbus's benefit in the long run, because had it had the goal not gone in, then um, it would have been a denial of an obvious goal scoring opportunity, and the player would have been sent off. Yeah, I had a bit. I had one of those like brain splitting moments where I'm like, okay, so they got a handball, but the ball came back afterwards, but he scored it. So we split the difference and allow the goal, or do we call it back from the point? It like just almost got the abacus out not- for this one. But I'm very fine with just being like, yes, it's a handball, but he scores the goal. Let's just let the goal stand. Weird as it is, I guess it's not uh, denial of an obvious goal scoring opportunity if the goal was scored. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I'm like, well, which goal are we talking about? Are we talking about the goal that would have been scored had it not hit his hand or the goal that was scored after it hit his hand? 
The goal is simultaneously scored and not scored, <laughs> and we won't know until we open the box. It's MLS what it is. is Schrodinger's goal. <laughs> Just have to assume it's, if it's both scored and not scored at the same time. Oh man! But it it was it's great for Montreal, as you said. We, you don't know what you're going to get with Montreal, and they're a total chaos team. But um, it's a good win for them, and. I'm glad because I want to see Thierry Henry stick around for a bit in MLS, and he certainly seems more comfortable with uh, with this team and with this league. So um, I, I was glad to see them win. And I and overall, you know, Montreal, yes, can certainly be chaos at times, but they're they're fun to watch. Um, they, they really at times have such a just fun, never say die attitude of just like, hey guys, I don't know, maybe we could win this game. Let's all just run at the other team and see what happens. Can I can I just hit you with uh, Montreal goal scored by number eighty seven Erwin Schrodinger? <laughs> Love it. Love um, it. I I'll, you're right about sort of that run forward and see what happens mentality, and I think also Gassi Zardes scored one with his chin in this game. <laughs> That's right. Oh uh, yeah, that well, and that one at first I was like, oh, is that a handball? Like that's very high, but it just like it's a chin ball. It, like pinballs around off defenders and then comes off his chin for what is probably the strangest goal he'll score. Um, elsewhere in the league, Houston got a huge result in the uh, the Texas rivalry. Uh, they won two nothing over Dallas. I thought this was a massive, massive um, thing for Houston, especially after. Um, trading Elise away. They also brought in a replacement, Toot Sweet. Um, the two Darwins came up big. Darwin Quintero got a goal. Darwin Seren got a goal. Um, they also got a guy sent off for a terrible tackle. So, you know, winning a game against your rival, being a man down, Dallas has been very good, especially defensively. Um, I thought this was a really big statement of intent from Houston and shows that they're they're far from out of it. They certainly can look weak at times, but this for me was a great game. And I'll also say too, there's a lot of because in my notes I was looking through and I was like, there's a lot of like that's not a penalty. That's just stupid. I thought uh, it was a great, a well refed game, which with Elfath is something that doesn't always happen. But I thought he. W- I was gonna say I did. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's high praise coming from you, Frisman Elfath. But I I thought that he did a good job. He let the teams play. The red card was a very easy call to make, um, and definitely the right one. Um, and I believe that was VAR checked as well because I think it was a yellow to begin with. So, just it all worked out well. I think it's important to note to note the boring times are when all the calls for the most part are good and things are well refed. You don't talk about those ones. So I thought I'd throw that one in there. <laughs> That is an interesting point. You know, we 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 we're so we we overlook so many uh, so many times the 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 easy ones with that. Uh, if you had this week uh, a nil nil draw between Nashville and Minnesota, another nil nil between uh, Atlanta and Orlando. Was there any from the previous match day that was that was uh, a nil nil between New England and Nashville in the previous match day? Yeah. Um, at least you had L.A. Galaxy versus Portland Timbers. Was there, were there goals in that game too? Can I, I think there that was... they soaked up all the goals. It, 
I think yeah. that's my theory. It was nice of Nashville and Orlando and Atlanta to gift all of their goals <laughs> to LA Galaxy and Portland for their game. <laughs> for a nine-goal rock'em, sock'em, boppers, just wow. insane. Yeah. <laughs> I don't what a, like honestly. What a thing this was. I watched the highlights to this game twice because I was just desperately trying to come up with some other note than just like shake head emoji. Um, okay, so in the movie, uh, in the movie Snatch, where mm-hmm. um, uh, Boris the Bullet Dodger has definitely been shot, but Dennis Farina's character is and Dennis Farina's character is trying to figure out the situation. And uh, Boris screams at him, I'm not dead yet! And Farina's character shoots him two more times. <laughs> and then he says, I'm still not dead! <laughs> and he shoots him again. <laughs> and I feel that this was kind of the rhythm of this game in which, in which, <laughs> in which Portland this established was a, a two-goal cushion. Um, and... Then, in in the course of the ensuing game, conceded three goals, and you'll never guess what happened next. <laughs> oh, this game was so bonkers. I mean, honestly, I felt like at least two of Portland's goals could have been called off. So, uh, I I think that they were somewhat lucky in that regard, and maybe the damage was greater than it it could have been. But, um, it, it just. Portland is such a, a head scratcher. Um, it's great to be able to put away six goals. Um, th- giving up the three, which one, one of them, I thought the uh, it's Pavone scores the second or the third from outside the area. It's, anyway. the, it's the third. Right, yeah, and he's a great little turn. That one I go, that is a great goal. What 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 can you really do about it? Um the other two I thought were pretty soft and it's just, it's really, it's got to be a little alarming for Savarese that at this point, Portland is still just giving up multiple goals per game that just seem easy. Um, that being said, the fact that they're able to just score goals at will, it seems, and pile on so many um, is good. However, a 6-3 win might sound good, but when you think about the playoffs <laughs> coming up, and and being that leaky at the back, I, I feel like you have to have some other strategy than just outscore the other team, regardless of how many goals have been scored up to that point. You, they've got they really need to tighten things up at the back. I felt like Steve Clark had a really uncharacteristically poor performance. There's two that I thought he, he just didn't seem to know where the ball was coming from, and I don't know if it was maybe a bit of miscommunication with defenders, but just looked kind of shaky and out of it. But, I mean, what do you even say about the Galaxy in this game? Yeah, it's... I agree with you that you have to think of it as as, as a requirement to be, you know, tighter defensively. You have to think that most times if you're going to be giving up three goals to the Galaxy that you're not going to win the game. It helps to score twice that, I guess. This is This is the... <laughs> The weirdest of you can just you can just swim in goals like this. Um, you 
I think that in some cases it is a defensive lapse. Like that first goal, Mora has a lot of time um, to about seven yards out to score it on the 14th minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second from a Bobasi comes from a free kick, which I wonder where my push alert was for that. Yep. Um, I thought that, uh, oh, this, this, the third Portland goal, an extreme, no, it's not a goal. There's this, there's this tremendous, uh, Portland goal line clearance that his, it bounces off of Mabiala's torso first. It has to be cleared again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. which was, which was very messy defensively, um, for Portland. But in terms of the, like, you know, diagnosing things with the, the attack, um, or uh, diagnosing things with the defense of LA, it's like Valeri scores this goal where he is at a diagonal and facing away from the goal and still able to chip it in, uh, chip it in. I don't know that you, I don't know what you could have done about that situation. <laughs> No, it's true. I, I think that at least two of Portland's goals are, are goals that would have beat anybody. So, in fairness mm-hmm. to LA, there's that. But they just look a complete mess. And, I mean, for for a brief little window there, really looked like things were going to come together for them. And... and really looked like a different squad in terms of mentality and and defensive ability but boy that seemed to be a thing of the past uh, this week the uh uh the fifth one from portland is the one where you can really look at la's defense and be like oof oof yeah and it kind of reminds me of like cincinnati at times where you've got like eight players all clumped together with a swarm of opponents surrounding them and you've got eight players watching the guy with the ball. It's like, that is not... Do you want to maybe look at where the ball might be going next? Nope? Okay. All right. Everyone's just going to stand there and watch. Okay. All right. No problem. That and allowing free headers in the box. If there was a 2020 MLS defense <laughs> in one line, it's free headers in the box this year. Just... <laughs> Jack Elliott got one for Philadelphia this week. It's just insane. It's like you've got these big, tall guys just waiting and there'll be a defender on either side and then they'll just look up and watch them head it in so what are you gonna do it's true um and that was after you know i completely missed the fact that they also lost to the galaxy also lost to san jose right yeah that was uh san jose is sort of the beginning of their fortunes changing really came in and had a, a very strong performance against LA. Uh, be LAFC and they beat both of them. That's right. Beat LAFC decided why not we'll uh we'll complete the LA suite here, beat Galaxy, and then went on to tear Vancouver Whitecaps for three goals unanswered. Just like old times. I see this is where the this is where the the um the trick is is that I had continuously been thinking of them not that much changed in the interim but it's like oh their form is so terrible they lost 5-1 they lost 7-1 or whatever it was 5-0 um you hope 
in a, in the situation that uh, Vancouver finds themselves. That if you've got to have teams, if you have two teams that both are giving up five one six one score lines, that maybe this is your opportunity to get a result. You know, the seven one loss to Seattle, six one loss to Portland, five five nothing loss to Colorado. Um, but if you think about it now, San Jose have won their last three. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly it was a, another really frustrating one for Vancouver where again like the Seattle game they um, they hold through the first but again this is a team where if you before this little hot run they have going on it's like you think this is if, if Vancouver is having a rough season you can at least have two teams that are on the same level of roughness um, go at it, and and the most that they're able to make out of this, you know, is um, is like I think fifty. It's like forty one percent possession or something in the first mm-hmm. half. Uh, yeah. and it's like they are not as bad as they've been earlier in the season in terms of creating no chances, but I don't think anything specific like uh very special in the first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this just terrible sequence in the, uh, in, I'm trying to, uh, to find where the red cards, <laughs> plural, uh, and the goals all line up, but you know, it's, they, it's Rose first for a second yellow, I believe. Right. Okay. Yes. He's pulling the arms. No, uh, Espinosa scores first. He's. He's got time to to move, and I think that one of the things that I noticed about Vancouver here is how it's like they're combating San Jose's man marking system by marking no man at all. Um, in terms of that's like, the opposite of man marking, right? How is that not going to work? <laughs> in terms of like you know, the defenders have to stay. Both central defenders have to stay in the center, right? And they're bolted to the place. It's like they're bolted to where they think they've been told they should be. So yeah. they give uh, Espinosa lots of time to turn around for the first goal. And then then it's Rose getting sent off at the second yellow. Um, and then the second goal from... Uh, oh, right. Fierro. I had it written in my notice. Fierro plays into Andy Rios, Rios, who is in acres of space between the Caps' defense and the midfielders, again with this issue. If you look at it... There are two perfect lines the Whitecaps are forming. Mm-hmm. In, in, uh, one on, on the six-yard line and one just, uh, just I think, just about the top of the box. And he has so much room yeah. in between those two. Yeah, there's just there seems to forever be a, a disconnect between the back line and the midfield that whether it's defending or going forward, it, it just everybody seems to be on a on a different page it was a really really weak performance from the white caps yes the refereeing wasn't fantastic eric godoy got sent off that red card has been rescinded um but let's not you know pretend that this game was lost because of refereeing this game was lost because the white caps are terrible right now and there there was really nothing in this performance i mean you had to feel the 3-1 loss to Seattle was somewhat inevitable, 
we were gifted a penalty. We took it. That's that's great. That's something at least. But you want to anytime you're getting something like we can't even improve over that performance. Then we go to a team that we should have at least had a chance against. I didn't. I thought we were going to lose this game as well. But um, to to just kind of you know. I don't want to say capitulate because I think it's disrespectful to the players that are flying and literally risking their lives to play a sport for our entertainment, but it's just, it's bad, you know, and unfortunately my conclusion that I keep coming back to is just that they're just not a good enough quality side. I I don't think that there's a, a coach in the world that could come in and get a lot more out of this current team. Um, there's definitely tons of factors and I don't think it's a, a simple matter of anything of as to why any team is struggling this year, but it, it, it was too another just really disappointing set of games from the Whitecaps with virtually nothing to redeem them. You could, you could maybe look at it. I'm trying to find who had the quote that um, from Mark Dos Santos where he says, I'm not able to get them pressing the way that I want them to. Um, I mean, that's a problem, which, which, which like, I think that the the more I kind of look at it, it's like, you kind of have to, the disconnect are these wonderful plans that continue to be made for, for dealing with teams, um, that can't be executed by the players. Um, and I want to, that is something that you, you kind of would think you would blame the manager for, but it's like. He won using theoretically similar similar tactics in the second division. So, like, player quality is not necessarily the issue alone. Well... Or, sorry, sorry, uh, sorry, it's uh, his ability to teach his ideas to... to to players that don't have the ability to execute them is not necessarily the issue. Sure. Uh, no, I, I agree. But it is also, like, he picked these players, right? <laughs> so, I I get it, but it, at the same time, it's like, well, what's the answer here? Like, <laughs> what's the way forward? Uh, I mean, I get that, you know, getting a practice, but getting practice time with the whole team is a, diff, a very difficult thing to do. I get that there's a, a lot going on, but it, it just... There's so many different individual and collective parts that don't work. It's very hard for me to accept that it's not Mark Dos Santos's fault. <laughs> because there's so many for all the little pieces that are going wrong. I mean, it's an incredibly difficult job to do. Um, but, you know, the club is his at this point. He's completely remade it in his image. And we're we're worse now than we were before. So... I mean, I'm not going to say that, like, he hasn't brought in better players um, in some positions. But overall, it, when you, you see our starting 11, even when we've got everybody fully healthy, you put against just about any other team in MLS and you just look at it and you go, we still feel like kind of a B squad. We don't have a proper full starting 11 of strong, like, players who are going to perform consistently. There's so many question marks. Every almost every single player, and it's not that they're bad. It's just that they're not good enough, uh, um, and and that the the level that they're playing at is not high enough for this league. 
And the, the, sorry, the, the last thing I just wanted to squeeze in is the remarkable part to me is the players that are coming to the games consistently and performing better, if not, you know, overall great, are draft picks and academy products for the most part. <laughs> I agree with that, and, and I also want to make clear that the reason why I mention that is because the the issue is is your point about the <laughs> the the players not getting the players not right. being good enough is that it's but regardless of whose you know quote unquote fault it is it's clearly not working yeah. and I don't know how many more games when you see you know Ben Olsen get fired or you see the people that got fired late in the season last year it's still a weird it's still very weird so i guess you can't i i, I still have the i still have the tenets of chill soccer in yeah. my mind yeah and, and i in it to be like level-headed about it it probably doesn't make sense to fire mark dos santos right now like you might as well ride it out till the end of the season we probably won't make the playoffs and then it makes it very easy to let him go um and justify that decision and if we do by some miracle and we get knocked out early, you know, okay, we can say we met one target um, and maybe there's something to build on. I th- I think short short of like making it to the playoffs and winning a game, Dos Santos is finished. But I think a pragmatic thing to do is let him finish out the season. I mean, best case scenario, it's going to take you two months to get a coach in anyway. So unless you're willing to have his brother take over, you have to fire the entire coaching staff, basically, with Mark Dos Santos. And it's very hard to replace people right now. And Canada's even more strangely positioned because it can be very difficult to get the right work visas for somebody if they're international. Um, I, I I think Dos Santos's time is done, but it will be the off-season when that's made official, unless a miracle happens. I think that's true. I think that now I guess that I don't know if it's it's this year's game or next year's game or what have you. But um I think that one of the other critiques that you could give is that you I'm looking at the transfers of of who's come in this summer. And maybe Seattle, maybe you know, uh Roman Torres was only going to go back to Seattle. Maybe you know, obviously is they they wanted they sent him out where in terms of ex players we're not going to re-sign Kai Kamara or or Lee Win, but it's like if you look at uh you know um Columbus getting Grant Willard for Miami um DC getting Ashley Yoiberg from Columbus the defender for Emmanuel Boateng it's like you can just get defenders yeah. You can- you can. Mm-hmm. It's 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 been challenging, and I know that the location issue is a problem, and I know that nobody is is in a great place in terms of revenue. But as as challenging as the Whitecaps defender issues have been, nobody is stopping them from going to get a defender. No. And there's been and there's been good themselves. players available. Like that's. That's been kind of the maddening thing, and I really do feel for them in terms like Mark Dos Santos basically is the scouting department, um, and I get that that's that's a difficult job to do because not it's not the one he was hired to do. Um, however, it's he it is his say, and 
to me, it's like, are you just looking too far afield for the next, you know, big young South American signing who's going to come in and then you can turn around and sell at a profit? Or are you not actually looking at pieces within the league? Now, in fairness, they've been signing academy products and bringing some great players into the team. And usually those you can kind of scoff at and be like, well, they're not going to make the first team. But they have this year. And, you know, in terms of Baldissimo and I think times at times Raposo as well, they've looked better than any of their older counterparts. So <laughs> those are actually, those have been good signings. And, you know, the the success of Thomas Hassel is another, another one until his unfortunate injury. So it, it's, it's certainly not a, like, the whole structure stinks. You know, there's little tiny elements working, but it, it ain't much. And it really does feel like, you know, nothing against what Mark Dos Santos has accomplished, but like, if you want to talk about availability of talent in MLS, there's lots of great coaches. You can get an experienced coach in. Stop screwing around, get somebody who, with experience in to coach this team. MLS experience or higher. <laughs> ben Olsen. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> hey, Ben. The, I, I, I think, you know, it can be easy. I, I did this on Twitter and and I saw other people doing it is getting into the fuck, getting into the despondency of thinking like, who can we beat right now? And, and that's, that's defeatist thought because we have had good wins this year, but it's like, you know, we couldn't beat Cavalry last year. So we couldn't even, we couldn't even be at the top level of CPL if we went down there. And, and, and when you start talking like that, you know, it, as other people are doing it's like you know i'm completely checked out or whatever yeah i want to be clear i you know i was thinking of the 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 how it started how's it going i was looking at old i was looking at old quotes and i found a a a facebook post march 18th 2009 andrew bates is so pumped on vancouver mls 2011 (laughs) and and if I go back and I think of that, you know, of that time of 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 first seeing the club and 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 first experiencing the joy of being a fan, I am glad there is soccer in Vancouver, and I don't want the Whitecaps to go away or yeah. anything. It's just, in in I never, I never wanted to come to that when when we talk about the challenging nature of supporting the team right now in in terms of how hostile at times they have felt to or like 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 how they continue to have moves like you know um firing the CEO and and the continued mishandling of the the issue that crocked up um last year yeah with the uh the accusations of misconduct. It's I in, in, in how that went in terms of what happened with Anthony Blondell. Um, it's really hard to support the specific whitecaps that we have right now. But even though it's challenging, things can be challenging for teams. It was very challenging for Toronto for a long time, and none of this, none of this, as much as. On Twitter, there is a little bit of public venting. None of this is is dampening my overall resolve. It's just hard. It is, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that, like, there are brighter days ahead for the Whitecaps, and it's probably not with many players in our current roster, nor with Mark Dos Santos leading the team. That's how I feel about it. I think it, it is going to take something different, and, you know, I I felt this way when Dos Santos was brought in. I think that it was not giving him enough credit, but one of my worries was I'm tired of putting chances on promising young coaches and hoping youth youth in the team and youth in the coaching staff is going to to do the trick and my kind of argument against Mark Dos Santos was like yes I know that he's played at some or um, coached at some very high levels and had some success but they weren't MLS and MLS is a different beast it's not necessarily better but it is a different beast he was unproven in MLS yeah. And that was my major worry, is that we were still, you know, taking on a project that may not work out. And I think it's fair to say at this point, it hasn't really worked out. So, it, and it's not, again, like, and I really grew to like Mark Dos Santos and, and liked his approach. And um, I appreciate having somebody that just really gets soccer and is such a soccer nerd at the head of the club. I love it. But, you know, the press conferences have gotten kind of rough where, you know, he's he's very cagey and defensive before anybody's even asked a question. And when he's asked a pointed question about something that's a real concern, kind of acting a bit baffled. And it's it's the same as this body language on the, on the touchline when his team gets scored against and he's there with the coaching staff and they all suddenly stand up and they're looking at each other and scratching their heads. And it's like, come on, guys, this is this is basic set piece defending here like why are you why are you so confused about what just happened like <laughs> and i mean that being said i get the frustration of just because you said it just because you drew it up just because you planned it doesn't mean it's going to happen on on the field but uh, it's it, long story short is it's it's both it's the players and the coach and <laughs> our front office could use some work as well other than that things are going well that's the i think spike's been great that's the <laughs> that's the history with uh with white coast managers isn't it is that you know them reacting defensively when when things are going poorly to say listen i'm very smart this was a good plan but you still lost yeah exactly and i get it like it, it's kind of a circular conversation what do you say you're like well i'm trying i did tell them to do something different and as you can see they did not do that thing but as the current coach of this team this is what i have to deal with Sporting Kansas City picked up a couple of wins, 2-1 against Houston, yep. uh, 1-0 against Chicago. Uh, LA, did LAFC play this match? Yeah, I, didn't, I don't see them um, I think um, they had a game rescheduled, did they not? Or were they just a bit of a bye week? Yeah, the LAFC, they, they, they beat uh, RSL 3-1. Were they, oh, it was Rapids Galaxy um, was the most recent one to get suspended. Right. I think I think yeah, and and you're right. It's the um, they were supposed to play on Wednesday against uh, LAFC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then tomorrow's game has been canceled because the the outbreak at the the COVID nineteen outbreak at the Rapids is continuing. Yeah. Um, with one new confirmed positive case in the Rapids playing pool. Shoot. Well, we wish everyone well there. Hopefully. Everyone recovers quickly and can get back to playing and living yeah. their life. I, 
the continued risk that uh, that teams face for um, to play is is continuing to be worrying as it's as they move closer and closer to the playoffs. You know, as bad as the tournament was, I you know you you see things like that. You think, why couldn't have it ended with the tournament? Um, and you know, this is only something I think of because there's been a lot of hype recently around uh, who's going to win the supporter shield. You know, Toronto FC is three points off the the pace, and it's like, what is the fucking point of the supporter shield at this point? You know, just in in this season. Sorry, yes. I, yeah, yeah, I yeah, support yeah, yeah. in general yeah, as a trophy, no. but it's like, like, uh, uh, what is a twenty twenty supporter shield going to mean? Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous. I, I mean, I I get it. We are clearly all in denial, and this entire season is like there were three parts, and we are just pretending that somehow all the competition was equal, and we're gonna have a playoffs that only eight teams don't participate in. That's totally normal and fine and good. And at the end of it, we will be able to say, yes, this is the best team in MLS. Like, we are all being completely delusional about it for the sake of having a sport. So if you if you don't award the Cascadia Cup because supporters are not present, I don't see why you award the supporter shield when most of those games have piped in supporters. Yeah. yeah. It feels It's just weird. It's weird and bad. It's weird and bad. Speaking of things that were weird and bad, uh the uh, the USL. I was wondering is, how we were um, going to make that segue, and there you go. That's perfect. <laughs> the, the USL has uh, has fined, or no, no, has has issued a six match ban to Junior Flemings of Phoenix Rising FC for an incident that uh, that cropped up essentially right after we got um, off the phone call uh, last week. Yeah, yeah, um, like minutes after with, we had wrapped up our last episode and. and post post uh post game chatter i just happened to see a tweet about uh an incident that happened between san diego loyal and phoenix rising and i was like doesn't usl put all their games on youtube so i went and found the full match kind of went to roughly when i thought the incident might have occurred and watched just an insane like 15 minutes unfold um that I still like a lot has happened since, but I still really struggle to wrap my head around how it even happened. <laughs> um, but it's, it was, go ahead. It was a really troubling and awful incident in which, um, the, uh, junior Fleming used a, who denies it, uh, it, uh, he denies it, but the club accepts the findings of a USL investigation that he used a homophobic remark um, on the field against uh, Colin Martin, who uh, came out when he was playing for uh, Minnesota United as gay. Uh, and the what unfolded in that 50-minute stretch of time is that... Uh, Fleming uses what um, I think has been identified as slang uh, slur and uh, 
Colin Martin says, he just said, I'm, he, he just uh, used a gay slur or something. The referee heard the word gay and red carded Colin Martin. So Landon Donovan, fresh from forfeiting the Loyals 1-1 draw the previous week because of a, uh, a racial slur used by an LA Galaxy 2 member, um, storms onto the field and is basically losing it. As I think, you know, everybody who, you know, understood the sequence must have been to think, why, how can this be happening? Um, and, and it has, uh, it has made a lot of news. I'm, I'm really glad that the USL were able to, to have an investigation. I think it really bothers me still that the player that, you know, um, you had the owner of Phoenix rising on Twitter that night so much, so much, even as, you know, uh, even, even as like the actual news events of the player being, you know, put on hold by the club of the, of the coach going on leave, um, were happening at the same time as people's Twitter timelines were still regurgitating 16-hour-old tweets of player statements that yeah. they were making in the middle of the night. So you have, like, the player statement where he says, I didn't say a homophobic slur, and I never would say anything like that. And then th- I think that must have been before the Sports Center audio leaked where the referee says, Oh, I heard the thing that you alleged that he said. I just didn't know that it was... I didn't know that it was a slur, and I can't jump to conclusions, even though I red-carded you because I heard you say the word gay. Yeah, which is like sort of like also admitting that you're just not good at your job, but I guess that's better than than not. I mean... There's so much that we could talk about here, and and I, I mean I, I don't know this. It's re- really worth getting to cover into, the coach thing. Let's the, just this, let's just talk about the coach real quick, just so yeah. Can... The, the the coach thing is Landon Donovan. I, I feel is he does storm the field and is livid, but I also think he's very controlled in his reactions and that he's trying to separate yes. players and he's trying to he's also he go he goes onto the pitch to get his players off the pitch. So what makes this slightly different than just a, a coach running onto the field and honestly if he ran onto the field and just decked the ref and the player <laughs> I would have been fine with it. But um it, it, like just the yeah, he he goes on the pitch, pulls his players off um and then he's on the the sideline having a conversation with the referee and the Phoenix Rising coach explaining what went on and the the thing about this that makes it so crazy is that late the the coach the phoenix rising coach whose name is eluding me but it's Shantz, rick shantz i believe yes Shantz, shantz yeah rick shantz like right after the game tweeted like oh i my comments didn't mean this and so I, he was you know, he was caught this, in the sports center video telling landon donovan you know um they're just out there trying to compete you know, you're you're causing a scene. Have you ever played soccer before? To the the yeah. the and, person who holds the U.S. men's national team goal scoring record. Well, and then he's kind of like defends his comments because he was like, I I didn't like I didn't mean it. Like I wasn't trying to defend this the use of the slur and say that it was normal to to say uh, homophobic things in the course of a game. But it's like 
that clip is from the game. That was all captured live. So the cameraman on the sideline, who deserves all kinds of journalism awards and raises for catching it all, clearly captures the entire conversation between the match official, Landon Donovan, and Rick Shantz. And it's pretty clear in the course of that that Landon Donovan specifically says he called him gay. He's a gay player. And the coach just brushes it off. Here's now. I have a, the, I have a thing I want to say about that, about okay. his, specifically about his defense. To me, it amounts to, I didn't want to say that you were wrong for protesting. I was unhappy with the way you did it. And to me, that defense is, uh, is a negligible distinction. To say, to say, I didn't mean to say that he was wrong. He was wrong in the way that he defended this player is essentially the same thing. Yeah. And, and given like, I I think the, the focus should really be on the, the Colin Martin's response, the team's response and Landon Donovan's response, which uh, rightly was the thing getting the most attention, which was, you know, this is a, a really big, important game for San Diego Loyal, but they felt like they didn't do enough to support their player mm. the previous week when a racial slur was used. And so they decided as a team that they would take action. They would try to make something more meaningful and actually had planned a moment, I think, I believe in the 71st minute, they were going to stop the game with Phoenix Rising and take a stand together to come back. They didn't even play the second half. And they didn't even get to that point before another incident happened. And they forfeited an incredibly important game. So, and the the defense that nothing happened or that, you know, it was the way Land and Donovan dealt with things. It's like, look, they were winning this game and could have just said, you know what, we'll take this and we'll just beat you guys instead. And I think like that, that was definitely an option available to them. And instead said no we're stopping everything and we like we just we can't do this again and Landon Donovan right even in his visceral anger on the pitch is clearly saying that to everyone like we're we're not doing this again and you know in his his post-game comments is is truly one of like the great uh just moments for uh, a soccer coach he's just I mean he's he's tired he's emotional but also just saying like we missed an opportunity to support one of our players in the game when the incident happened last time. So we resolved to not do that again. Which, when we're talking about change, and we're talking about meaningful change and actual accountability, to see a soccer coach get that and go, we didn't do right by our player. So even though it happened to one of our players from another team saying the thing, we decided collectively as a team we needed to better support our players. And it happened the next week, and so they decided to to take action. And, I mean, it's it's been a, a wild week for, for both clubs, but one of the things that has resulted from it was a joint statement from both clubs where it was clear that they met and discussed what happened. And... Rick Shantz came out with an accountability statement about the steps he would personally take to better educate himself, which were very specific and, um, I think, thoughtful. And then also for the two clubs to say together, 
you know, they were going to work together to try to make some changes in the league to try to get something good to come out of this just mm-hmm. really awful moment. Um, I think to me so. feels and, really and significant. I think, you know, what certainly when you're in Landon Donovan's position, you have a, a, a tremendous, um, when you are essentially like a co-founder of the club and a soccer legend in the coach, you have a tremendous amount of privilege to take this action. And he is doing it. And I think that one of the things that is, um, I think, key to the way, as you say, like his his statement in the interview that, you know, of being disappointed that they didn't do it the, the game before. It's like the nature of this protest and I think the, the nature of the issue of what happened, to, of what Shance was saying is like that you to actually say like games just can't go on like this and this almost in a way like relates to um both the issue of mls continuing to play through such a, a a terrible point in the world in the united states history um the the issue of player strikes in general mm-hmm. and of protests in the states of just being like why do you expect that the game will continue if 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 something like this this happens yeah. why is it why is it the understanding that if it does happen what well, you're supposed to do is like shrug your shoulders and and not make a big deal out of it Well, and Colin Martin rightly says, and I, I don't know if it was a post-game interview or in a, in a subsequent interview that he did, where he's like, I played professionally for a long time and there's always lots of chatter. This is the first time I've had a homophobic slur directed at me. And yeah. rightly pointing out, this is my workplace. And I think that's really key for the very few trolls that came out to voice displeasure at this. I was really impressed with the Phoenix Rising fans very quickly condemning the the player and standing with Landon Donovan and Colin Martin. Um, But, I mean, it's so easy to forget because it's a thing for our entertainment, but this is what they do for a living and they are in a union environment and they are subject to the same rules. So, it is a big deal. I mean, it would have been a big deal anyway, but um, I I just, I have immense admiration for Colin Martin for, for holding himself together through all of this and, and being so eloquent when he would be completely justified to just tell everybody to take a flying leap and um, not handle things with grace. Um, it's unfortunate that you know, queer, racialized, um, and folks who experience marginalization continue to have to be the people to take the high ground in moments like this. But, um, again, the, it, it felt good to see somebody in the moment say, no, this isn't okay. We're not just going to continue. We're not going to just brush this off. We actually have to do something about it. Um, to me feels very significant and, you know, and, and there was a lot on the line. They didn't need to forfeit this game, but, you know, to Landon Donovan and the players, they couldn't continue. And I just, I I hugely just like, respect this. This is something that really 
hits home and is personal. And it, you know, I know, you know, it, the thing happening is something that is infuriating. And I think that the idea of like a precedent and two teams, even if they're second division teams trying to move forward of it, is just like, that is why I think it has mattered so much to you and I and uh, queer fans across North America. Yeah, and because it it does feel personal because every time it's just another reminder you're not welcome here and you know this environment that you thought was for you and is safe isn't in some small way and for that briefest little window of time you kind of feel that and you're like all right so if i do want to stay supporting soccer i i have to withhold some part of my identity because this kind of crap is going to happen but to then see the the reaction from landon donovan from the club um from the fan bases from just soccer fans in general and of course there are people saying stupid shit about it but for the most part actually was like <laughs> it was nice to see after a terrible incident be like oh these people are, are a small number of people are in the wrong here and actually are going to be held to account and people are doing the right thing and recognizing that this is much bigger than a single moment or a single game or even the the sport in general and we can we can decide to I go think one that the, way we can the, decide to go another the big thing um for discrimination of all kinds and and that comes from this incident is that that i'm sure that the two clubs involved in the usl have uh learned a lot of lessons throughout the course of the process I really hope MLS and MLS clubs have their eyes open because this is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. the question yeah. is not like, when is the next player going to walk off the field? It's like, it will happen. So you have to like decide what you're going to do for that player and, and whether or not you need to force them to walk the, that's another part, you know, when you, when you talk about calling... Anyways. <laughs> we, we've set it up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about this before the show where it was like, I mean, this this could be the show. Um, a lot of loaded things for, for both of us and for a lot of people. Um, Junior Flemings has been suspended as a six result games, of And that'll be his whole contract. Six game? Yeah, six-game suspension. He's he's been he's been put on leave. The the club oh, okay. also yeah. said that they are putting him on leave for the remainder of his contract, which is one more month. So that will be his uh, that will be his right. the remainder of his time with the club. Yeah. the The last thing I'll say that I think is important is that the coach's response from Phoenix Rising was not great. He acknowledged that that response was not great, and working with the people involved actually apologized for the specific actions and committed to doing something uh, about it very specifically and as much as it's really easy to want to write people off 
and and just be angry about it. And <laughs> I went there. Um, but it's important that we talk about the other side of things, which is which is not just every time something awful happens, being like, well, fire everyone and this is all bad and nothing good will come of this. But people will make mistakes. But when people can acknowledge those mistakes and work with the people that were harmed to do better and to acknowledge that harm, it, it, it is meaningful, you know, and... I have to admit, it probably was not a fun thing to have to call Colin Martin and specifically apologize. But it was the right thing to do. And it was the right thing to mention the specific ways in which harm was done, rather than say, well, I didn't mean to do this. And who can say, like, the language in the apology was unambiguous, and, and that matters. So I'm glad that we can't just talk about like we we can actually say lessons maybe will get learned here and the correct actions are being taken because that's an opportunity that's been missed time and time and time I agree in, completely. in professional sports. <laughs> Ooh, but I tell you, I tell you, if Protect anybody says anything to Colin Martin or any other member <laughs> of San Diego Loyal... It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lot more than just Landon Donovan storming the pitch, but big mood 2020 is Landon um, Donovan just like, nope. Now that we have, uh, it down. have, have gotten through this, uh, this brace of, of two weeks, two, two weeks in one week, and I think it's like until the end of the season, it's basically going to be a whole match day twice a week. Um, where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. You can, of course, find this podcast wherever you get fine You can podcasts. find me on Twitter at TeamBaitsWWW.TeamBaitsBaits.com. And <laughs> don't Beautiful. get two red cards. And until next time. <laughs> Don't get sent Don't off. Get but sent. You can be off forgiven because who knows what a sending off is. At mean. the conclusion of a sequence that started with somebody else getting a red card. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. That. I think that went well. <laughs>